our mission is to keep the tradition alive. It's up to us. It's our responsibility. Who else is going to do it? Hello and welcome to episode 218 of the Red Box Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I am your host, Bob Fallon, and with me as always is Casey Brady. This week we're going to take a look at Alien Covenant, what else we watched, our top five creatures, coolest creatures, I should say, and our last points. Yes, an Alien Covenant. Been looking forward to this. Um, Have you? You've been looking forward to it? Yeah. I uh, I was one of these people that actually liked Prometheus quite a bit. I think, I think it gets a bad rap. One of the very few people. Um, <laughs> I mean, it has a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, so... Oh, and Rotten Tomatoes means everything, that's, man. It's, Rotten Tomatoes is life. But, yeah, you know, I really I, liked Prometheus. I, it had its faults, but... And I, I just thought from the trailers and what I'd heard about Covenant that seemed like they were going to, you know, take it in a direction that would make it even better to me. See, I had actually had never seen uh, Prometheus. I remember at the time when the trailer came out, I saw the trailer and I thought, this is going to be the greatest film of all time. It was an incredible, incredible trailer. Yeah, it was an amazing trailer. Movie comes out and everyone is extremely disappointed. Yeah, um, it's not what you would expect necessarily from that trailer. Like, that's, I think, the biggest problem with it. Like, the trailer sets it up to, oh, this is going to be an amazing sci-fi, like, horror movie, and it's just not that. But it's still good. still good. All right. So, uh... So, so anyway, let's get into yeah. Alien Covenant. Yeah. Uh, it is about a crew of a colony ship bound for a remote planet. They discover an uncharted paradise and take a detour to that paradise. Uh, But there is a threat beyond their imagination lurking (laughs) in that paradise. Uh, And they try to escape after finding such a horror. Yeah, so were you looking forward to to this movie, checking it out? Um, What did you heard about it coming in and and all that jazz? Um, So I was not looking forward to it too much, especially because I had not seen Prometheus. I had said on the last podcast I was going to watch it, um, but I just did not have any time this week at all to actually watch it, which kills me inside because uh, I think I did it with um, Fast and Furious, where I had not watched the previous film, which just completely invalidates my <laughs> I don't opinion. Know oh, it does. It 100% does. Um and just like this movie, I hadn't seen Prometheus before I watched it, and so it invalidates my opinion for this as well. I would actually say you didn't necessarily have to see Prometheus to... Really? Like, um, because it felt like I needed to. Uh, really? Oh, I guess the <laughs> only... Severely. The only connection to Prometheus is Michael Fassbender's David. I think that's the the uh, android that's on the planet in the beginning. Yes, and that's, uh, in the beginning, try half the movie. Um, <laughs> and the entire plot revolves around what he's doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. 
Maybe you could have just read a plot synopsis or something from Prometheus. Well, I was, I'm still hoping to eventually yeah, watch yeah, yeah. But, uh, and I, I probably will because I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty uh, confused about exactly uh, the overall idea of this movie, Alien Covenant. I mean, it starts off in, in this kind of... Uh, extremely bright room with you you have david and he's talking to his creator and you get this glimpse that david is a little bit more than just an android he's uh he's kind of that uh almost how do you want to say it either the, uh, the terminator style machine where he's past the point of being um a servant and he's kind of thinking on his own. He's like uh, uh, self-evolved. Yeah, he's transcended. Yeah I, yeah, I can't think of that point in time. What's the? There's a technical term for the point in time when AI becomes, becomes sentient. What's that? When it becomes sentient. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this, what is that? I can't remember uh, either, but I know what you're talking about. But um, that's what David is, and David's played by Matt, uh, Michael Fassbender, who does. Uh, who, who was one of the top actors, uh, though he, he seems pretty unwell known to the masses. Uh, but I feel like in critic circles, uh, everyone loves him. He's a great actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, as far as that goes, like that's a, that character was played by Guy Pierce, the old guy in the beginning, his master, and yeah. he had a bigger role in Prometheus. And I mean, how much? Do you want to know about Prometheus or anything at all? I mean, you're going to have to explain a lot to me, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. So Prometheus is it starts off with these engineers that in this movie, uh, they show that David completely like ex- extinguishes them on this planet that they're inhabiting, right? You know, the, the weird guys that they showed him kill off with the yeah. goo. With the goo. In Prometheus, the movie opens with these people, and they're called engineers, and they have the, the black goo, and they drop it into some form of water, and basically, these people create life. That's what these engineers do, and then the movie goes on where this crew finds... God, now it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think they find an engineer, and all hell breaks loose. But David starts out as like their friendly assistant android, and when he finds these engineers, like he gets like uh, fascinated by the prospects and and what they can do and evolution and all this stuff, and that's when he kind of goes on a more devious path. Okay, uh, does it show in Prometheus that he is um, genetically modifying the xenomorph? Um, the alien. I feel like they showed that a bit towards the end. All right. It's been five years since I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure they like toyed with the idea of it, but not to the level that that happens in uh, this movie. All right, because with Alien Covenant, uh, you have this colony ship uh, with a updated version of David, uh, whose name is Walter. Walter. Yeah. And basically, a big search happens where. Uh, uh, the ship gets damaged, and they decide, for for better or for worse, that they should probably check out this other planet. They go to this planet, and basically, as you would expect, they come across uh, the xenomorph 
the alien, and all hell just kind of breaks loose. Yeah. And and it, it's almost I'm not going to say it's like every other alien movie, but it, it kind of is. I mean, In a way, yeah. I mean, it's almost like what what else is there for as far as the alien movie goes, right? Like it has yeah, to have a certain it's, it's level been, of of all the typical stuff. It's very similar to the original Alien in a way, where because the original Alien was when you know a, a ship uh, got a message from another ship, like a, yeah, uh, a distress signal, yeah, exactly a distress signal. So they go and find it, and then they get attacked by the alien. That's exactly what happens in this movie. Um, yep, very very similar. Yeah, but I do like the environment of this uninhabited planet, and I like how it starts off. You know, there's literally no signs of life whatsoever, and just how it they 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 do things a little bit differently. Like it's not a face hugger right away that gets things started. It's this like these microscopic spores that live in the the plants, and they get in their eardrums or whatever, and that's how uh, you know the xenomorph is born. Yeah. See, this is one thing that just kept coming up though. With the so it's a, uh, um, of course in other alien films you'll realize that the alien just kills off every living creature. Uh, it just completely makes everything go extinct. Um, besides, like plant life, mm-hmm. and of course when they get to the the planet, there is no uh, life besides plant life. It would have been nice if they kind of would have let us experience it a little bit longer, where there was a little bit more silence um, yeah, that in the would world. Have been cool. There was definitely a lot of sounds, and I think if they would have just used the audio a little bit more, or maybe less, um, so we got this eerie feeling, like instead of just off. kind of very quickly just going, "Oh, there's no sounds at all." I mean, one of the characters explicitly says, "There's no sounds." Uh, and that's what happens in this movie multiple, multiple times where uh, Ridley Scott, who I think is a great director, sometimes um, he sees his audience as being very dumb, extremely dumb, um, so, and just ha- feels like he has to explicitly say uh, or tell the audience exactly what they should kind of try to figure out on their own. Yeah, and um, I think uh, he models his characters after the audience that he thinks is dumb. Possibly. Because like, um, these characters, and it was the same in Prometheus, make really terrible, dumb mistakes. Yes, uh, and these characters in, in Covenant made horrible mistakes. I mean, one, the idea of never split the party had not crossed their mind once. I mean... They all, not even went in, in teams of two, they just all went their separate ways every single time. Um, yeah. And they would go into certain areas where, come on, why are you going down the cellar with a kind of android that you know is evil? Like, you just watched him pretty much um, be on the, the, the side of the alien. Why would you right. trust him, you know? And that scene um, was in the trailer, actually, where... <laughs> They kind of telegraphed what was going to happen there as a result. But yeah, and uh, I mean, the, the, the characters are extremely dumb. Uh, they're horribly written. And then, uh, but just back to the point of 
Ridley Scott telling us every little detail that a lot of times we already know. Uh, there is a kind of a supposed to be maybe a surprise at the very end. It's immediately, immediately foreshadowed, uh, not even just foreshadowed, but it's pretty much given away uh, what's going to happen at the very end. Um, probably maybe 40 minutes, 50 minutes into the movie, um, when you meet David, you can kind of already tell what's going to happen. But at the very, very, very end, like the last line of the movie, or not maybe not the last line, but um, close to the last line, what you already know is happening, one of the characters has to say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why? And not just say it out loud, but literally just, like, as uh, plainly as possible says the trick that's happening or the... the the, the surprise um, right. but it's just so obvious yeah. and it happens over and over and over again in this movie where the audience is made to feel like uh, Scott thinks we're dumb yeah um, and Prometheus had a lot of the same problems but again here it didn't I didn't let it bother me too much I still really enjoyed this movie quite a bit uh, overall I liked it a lot that's surprising I'm really surprised I was very disappointed um, I mean, just the look of the alien is so bad. You think so? Oh my god, it's horrible. I was gonna say I thought the special effects were good. I thought the movie as a whole was very visually pleasing. I thought the, it, I, it looked great. I will agree with you. the The movie in general is visually appealing. Uh, the just the the set um, the set piece of the inside of the Starcraft looks great. The scene. The, the scenic uh, shots are great. The statues and the, the these fake buildings that are made from, I guess you call them the engineers. Yeah, iconography. Uh, a lot of it looks really, really well made. Everything looks good. Um, in the very beginning, I actually thought, wow, this looks great. Um, slowly, it started getting uh, a little bit less... Uh, Fantastic and more maybe, you know, moderate or average. Um, but any time the alien showed its ugly face, it ruined the scene. The alien did not look good. The CGI for the alien was horrible, truly horrible. Um, I almost thought at times it looked like a straight-to-DVD, um, you know, uh, joke of a film. Hmm. I disagree. I disagree with that. I don't think it was like, you know, planet like the War for the Planet of the Apes or Kong Skull Island level special effects. But I thought it was, yeah, especially like when the xenomorphs are moving quickly, it didn't look fantastic. But I thought like the scene when you got a close up of it when it was like menacing that the classic shot from the the poster or the trailer. I thought it looked good enough. He did. I I did not at all. Um, I was very disappointed. Yeah, that's fair. But we talked about how dumb the characters are. But it's a good cast, at least. I mean, you got Catherine Watterson, Michael Fassbender, you mentioned, uh, Billy Crudup, Danny McBride, Damian Bashir, uh, the woman from It Comes at Night, who uh, I thought was great in that movie. And uh, James Franco even gets a small cameo here. Yeah, and that is the best part of this entire film, is the cast. 
they did a great job with what they were given. Um, yeah, I agree. Actually, way better, way better than that. It's it's very that's an understatement. I thought the acting was phenomenal, um, mainly because of how bad those characters were. Uh, I will say, Michael Fassbender, he deserves an Oscar for that. I mean, Dude, the way yeah. he portrayed uh, both David and Walter. And although they are both the same character in a way, they're both androids um, with very little differences. He does a great, great job of differentiating both of them and having uh, infusing them with both um, a vibrant character. Yeah, uh, it's insane. Like these are both androids, you know, they're both AI, and yet they look I- almost identical. Or well, they do, yeah. And and yet guy. you always know. Which one is which? When you're watching this, simply based off his his uh, nuanced acting, he is incredible in this movie. As well as though you can truly believe the way he, like he does it so well that you can believe that the characters believe that they can't tell who is who. Right? Um, yeah, it's next level. It's next level stuff. Yeah, he he really transcends uh, what he was given. And all his stuff in this movie was my favorite parts of it. Like. I like just the fact that he is, you know, he's basically, co- you know, uh, directing the origin story for the Xenomorphs, and he's like their father figure. They don't attack him, which is kind of weird. It seems but like- now, here's the question, um, and maybe I am the dumb audience. Uh, I think partially it is because I didn't see Prometheus. That is a big uh, disadvantage for you. But can you explain just a couple things to me? Uh, so I hope so. Did, did he create the xenomorph? Did he create the alien? I do believe from the very beginning. Or uh, he's because a, that's what it seems like. But at the same time, it seems like maybe he just found an organism, then he genetically modified. Yeah, I think it's kind of like. But but at the same time, it it almost sounded like. He originally just had a kind of maybe I don't want to say bacteria, but some kind of just like I think he holds up a, a vial and he says it's some kind of liquid uh, toxin, right? It's, and that's what he killed all the engineers with. Yeah. But that that toxin eventually becomes the alien. Yeah, that's the um, same stuff that was you know the engineers were using in the beginning of Prometheus, and then at the end of Prometheus they find. Uh, one of the, like, there's, I can't remember what they're called, but, like, the casings that the xenomorphs are, you know, found in. So, the, in Prometheus, they do find kind of those pods? Yes, and I believe that's the first time David messes with their, you know, the organism's infra- infrastructure to, it's not quite the full xenomorph that we knew and loved from the original yet at the end of Prometheus. Uh, the ones in Covenant are much more closer, but it's still a similar idea. All right. And then the other question is, um, okay, so if that's the case, uh, he steps on, is it the, how do you say it, the um, kind of the mist bacteria that they find in Prometheus, like they did in the beginning of this movie, or was it the actual pods with the, you know, eight-legged spiders. Jesus, it's been... I don't remember. Um, I, w- I want to say it was the eight-legged 
Because that's you mentioned that, oh, look, we have a new way of having the creatures appear, which was when they stepped on those little tiny pods or whatever, and a fume puffed out, right, and went into the guy's ear and went into the guy's nose. Um, but then the, shouldn't, that, shouldn't that how it would have been in Prometheus? Uh, because the pods... No, it definitely wasn't were, like that in Prometheus. It was not like that. No, there was no chest bursters or anything in uh, Prometheus. But that doesn't that seem weird because isn't that the way the original creature is then? That's what this movie hints at. And then he created the eight-legged freaks, you know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Maybe, I mean, I don't, Again, like I said, I don't know. It is without, confusing. Without it's seeing confusing. Prometheus, I just, I felt very lost. And that's completely on me. That's not on the writing or the director at all. Um, if you're going to watch a movie, make sure you watch all the prequels. Not prequels, but all the original yeah. series. I so. think it's like, I don't think it's like mapped out. Like, here's what, here to here to here to here. Like, it seems like it's supposed to be kind of vague. And if I'm getting anything wrong or you know the answers, please, people, email in, correct us, set us straight, but inform us. But as far as I know, I gave some of the correct answers. All right. <laughs> well, what about sticking to Fassbender? Because, God, he's just so good in this movie. One of the best scenes has to be the crazy scene where you get some Fassbender on Fassbender action, right? Yes. Uh, the fighting, was the choreography was great. The dialogue between the two was just fantastic. Um, in terms of way, the way it was delivered. Um, even the writing for it was pretty good, I'll, I'll say. Yeah. Um, but like you said, any scene with Fassbender, I was I was kind of glued to the screen. But I think it was more him than anything else. I think he just, he's a fantastic actor that can deliver whatever crap you give to him. I would have been fine if this movie was a ship full of like six... Uh, Michael Fassbender androids landed on this planet, and it was just seven versions of a Michael Fassbender. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. Or even just like the one uh, David uh, yeah. android, and just you know going through thirty years of his life on right, the, yeah, the planet by himself. I would have just watched that. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. But uh, you know, I actually I also liked how they kind of try to get a little bit closer back to the horror roots from the original. Like, there were some scenes that I enjoyed. The The shower scene, I thought, was really well done. As far as, like, you know, the horror cliche shower scene. But it was effective. I thought it worked pretty well. Did you? I thought... I thought all of the scenes that were supposed to kind of be scary... One, they tried to use cheap tactics such as jump scares, right? Um, But even they didn't work at all because you knew it was going to happen. True. And you knew right when it was going to (laughs) happen. This movie was just so obvious uh, what was going to happen next at every single turn. No no surprises uh, in this movie actually hit. They were all flat. Every last one. There was nothing that surprised me. Yeah, that's true. But somehow, like, it didn't bother me all that much. Like, even that initial attack when 
you know, it's predictable. The guy gets the spore in his ear, the chest burster breaks loose, and the woman, uh, might have been two or three people, are trapped on the ship, right? Yeah. And it, I just thought that was well, way better executed than the scene from Life, the movie we reviewed like a month ago. It was a pretty similar type of situation, but I just thought it was handled much better here. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't remember the scene you're talking about, but I would say this movie is on the same quality as Life. Uh, um, I disagree. Maybe even a little bit less. Oh, my gosh. What would you give it? Uh, I give this movie an extremely weak seven. Um, there were some very, very good things with this movie, such as the acting um, and a lot of the visuals, but there were so many things that went wrong, um, mainly the character creation uh, and the centerpiece of the film, the alien, was horrible, truly horrible. All right. Well, I gave it the same thing I gave Prometheus, a solid to slightly heavy seven and a half out of ten. So, I mean, you, you're not wrong about a lot of your complaints, or most of your complaints even. I agree with you, but I don't know. Just one of those movies where, like, the good outweighed the bad in my mind. Like, the visuals and the, the Fassbender stuff just was enough to get me past that, at least enough to recommend it. Uh, I mean, and probably some of our listeners will say, oh, we're actually really close on our scale. Your seven and a half is much higher than my seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half for me is like a recommend, like definitely really solid, good movie. Yeah, for me, a seven is kind of a film that I just, no, I would not recommend a seven to anyone. Yeah. Where Where would this rank in the Alien movie franchise? Have you seen a lot of the other ones? I've seen a decent amount of them. It's... Definitely, it definitely does not touch Alien, even slightly. It should not even be no, no. Uh, holding the same name. Uh, Alien 2, or Aliens, um, once again, way, way better. Yep. And then Alien Covenant, I can see getting third or fourth, uh, but there's still such a wide gap between second and third. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, Alien 3 and Alien uh, Resurrection... No bueno. No. So, yeah, I put it a third. I put it slightly ahead of Prometheus behind um, Alien and Aliens. I'm looking at, you have, I didn't even, uh, maybe I haven't seen Alien Resurrection. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. And it's. I don't know if I've seen that one. It might be the worst. Really? Yeah. It's pretty bad. At least as far as I can recall. I definitely saw it when I was like 17, so. Don't know oh, okay. if I can trust my own judgment there, but I remember hating it. All right, let's get into the top five creature designs, which was uh, inspired by the xenomorphs in Alien Covenant and just the franchise as a whole. What did you think of putting this list together? And uh, was it fun, difficult? What do you think? So, uh,. When I put this list together, I was thinking more just kind of what idea of the like uh, the idea of the monster is what drove drove this list for me. Not so much did it look cool or did it look uh, appealing uh, in the film. I just the idea of it um, is what drove this. And it was pretty easy. I created uh, my list 
um, pretty easily. I looked at another list online, and I saw two that I wish I would have remembered. Since I didn't, and I'm trying not to use other lists online, I decided not to change mine, uh, but they will be honorable mentions. I got you. Though they deserve 100% to be on the list. <laughs> I'm just not going to cheapen uh, the way I did it by adding them. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, for me, it was more about effect. I took pretty much, I tried to take everything into consideration. Idea, the way it just looks in general, but mainly I tried to focus on effectiveness inside of the movie for me. Like, did it work the way they intended it to, given everything? All right. But uh, I'll give my number five, but first I forgot to say that I also liked the way the Xenomorphs in Alien Covenant kind of reminded me of the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? Jurassic Park. Alright. <laughs> you know, the way they kind of were real fast and going through the tall grass. I thought that was pretty cool. But, alright. My number five, I have a feeling you're going to disagree with me. But, it's the monster from Cloverfield. Yeah, I do disagree with you. I just um... thought, <laughs> found footage, you know, thriller, horror, whatever, uh, disaster movie. I love this movie. And I just thought... That the way they, you know, slowly unveil this monster over time, it's just really effective. It's one of those things where you get glimpses and the idea in your head, you're immersed are waiting for it to just not live up to the expectations when you finally get like the full on, full scale uh, view of it. But I, I thought that it, uh, it turned out the opposite where, wow, that is really good design, really uh, effective way of showing it and I really thought they got the sense of scale perfect like it seemed like this huge scary monster well which because I mean Cloverfield has a whole bunch of monsters in it right don't they have the the little ones uh, that chase them through like the subway they do have the gigantic one uh, I'm thinking this... the, the the gigantic one that's like you know destroying the city and the one that kills the camera guy at the end spoiler okay. alert um I mean, one, the movie I just didn't think was that good. Oh, it's so uh, good. I, I didn't have a problem with the shaky cam like a lot of people, but I can understand. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think it was that bad in terms of the way it looked. But the movie just overall just kind of felt flat for me. Um, I think there's much, much better uh, monster films than this. I don't know that there is. Oh, there is. <laughs> now, 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, one hundred percent redeemed it. So I think Ten Cloverfield Lane is really good, not as good as the original. All right, <laughs> if you say so. Uh, my number five is a very old classic, um, Frankenstein. I just think the idea of uh, kind of piecemealing a a person together, bringing them back to life. And the way you bring them back to life is you bring them like just have a lightning rod that you know just brings him alive yes um I, I i don't know i i mean every iteration of frankenstein whether it's comedic or not even in uh um what's the the tv show the monsters uh, oh yeah <laughs> i mean i i like frankenstein no matter how it is uh i don't think i've ever seen a movie or tv show that i didn't like frankenstein so. really yeah, huh. yeah. 
Yeah, how about Hotel Transylvania? I have not seen Hotel Transylvania, but you I know you like it a lot. I don't um, know about a lot, but it's it's better than you would expect. Are you kidding me? You told me you loved it. You told me it was I like must watch. No way. You change your mind too quickly. I or gave you it forget. A, I give like it a seven out of ten. It's like a better than you would expect kids animated movie. But uh anyway. Yeah, that's a classic pick. You can't go wrong there. He's not on my list though. He's a little boring for me. Uh, it's understandable. Uh, my number four is a movie that I have loved since I was a kid and continue to love to this day. It's the Gremlins movie franchise. All the Gremlin designs. What do you uh, think? Um, Gremlins, Gremlins are a pretty good movie. I Especially, I mean, Gizmo. Just a lovable, furry old Gizmo. Great uh, protagonist. And then, of course, you got the bad guys. And I really especially love the creativity and the... The humor that they add to it in the second Gremlins movie, I just think you know, talk about you know practical practical creature design. They really uh, you know went through a laundry list of ideas in these movies. Yeah, yeah, they were creative with it. Um, I, I mean, I didn't have uh, Gremlins on my list, but I guess you could say they're an honorable mention. Come on, you got classic Stripe from the first movie, and. Uh, can't remember the is it spike any of the other ones <laughs> the googly eyes guy the the girl at the end of the the second one the female gremlin the one that uh is a golem statue it, the list goes on and on yeah yeah it sounds like it sounds like it. <laughs> uh well oh, my number oh, four. Oh, oh, last one oh, go ahead the guy that's incredibly intelligent the gremlin he just is incredibly intelligent can speak better than i can and uh you know, goes right. to the interview right. I show. Mean, when you think of another one, ten minutes later. All right, all right. I'll let you, you let me know. Yeah, let me Google this one. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you will. That's the thing. <laughs> all right. Uh, my number four are the various bugs uh, from Starship Trooper. I think it's it's hard to tell. Uh, did you like Starship Trooper? Yeah, I love Starship Troopers. The the original. The yeah, the very original. I've seen every single one of the uh, the ones that have come after, and oh god, <laughs> yeah. they get they got so bad that they couldn't even actually like make it live action. They had to make it uh, <laughs> animated. Yeah, no, that first one is really good. That's a good pick. Yeah, it's it's so. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but the the humor of the film is perfect. Uh, it, it is truly perfect. Uh, in every way. Um, but the bugs, I mean, you have kind of the uh, the normal um, spider-like bugs, but then you also have the brain. And this brain kind of controls everything. And there's this really neat hierarchy of these bugs that I, I'm really intrigued by. Um, I, I always kind of like the hierarchy of, of things and how, how there's a system of uh, classifications and this film does a great job of that without going too in-depth. Yeah, it does. And even, like, the mother bug at the end, you know, the big boss, it's pretty good design. Yeah, yeah. Paul Verhoeven directed, same guy that did RoboCop. So he knows what he's doing. He does, he does. All right, my number three is uh, a movie from 2007, I believe. It's uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. The, uh, yeah, the guy with the eyes. Yeah, and the, hands. the eyes and the hands, and 
just yeah. by itself, just an amazing, like gross, but beautiful creature design. But then just the way that it's done in the movie is in the look, the, the look is um, marvelous. Yeah. But it's even scarier in practice because they do a great job of conveying the fear of, you know, trying to sneak around this thing. And then when it finally, like, wakes up and realizes what's going on and chases her out of the the little, you know, cave thing. It's really, really, really good. Three I always really just good. try to picture, if I had eyes on my hands, how horrifying that would be. Not so much because you have eyes in your, on your hands, but... If something ever hits your hands, you know, if you accidentally touch like a, a spike, you know, the idea yeah. of things going in your eyes are just, ugh. And just think, every time you have to wipe yourself, that's gross. Ooh, man, pink eye is inevitable. <laughs> oh, it's inevitable. It's a daily uh, risk. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I love Pan's Labyrinth as a whole, but that scene is the standout, and that creature design is the reason why. Well, my number three is a monster that is probably near number two or number one, uh, I would uh, expect. But The Thing from The Thing. Yeah, um, it's my number two. I knew it. I knew it. I believe Edgar recommended it yep, to us. Thank you, Edgar. Um, Love that movie now. It's one of my favorites. You know. Now, I definitely didn't like it as much as you guys. Uh, and I didn't even like the look of the monster as much as you guys. What? Um, but once again, the idea that he can, the monster can control um, a person and no one would ever know that it's that it's the monster, right? Yeah. And the idea of then then everyone kind of not trusting each other and turning on one another. Um, I just I really I really enjoy that. I think that's a great concept. Well, then you will like it comes at night. Is that, I guess that's what it's. Well, it's Based kind of – no, no. It's just like that idea of, you know, the, there's something terrible in the world, but really the the real, you know, enemy is can you trust your fellow human, stuff like that. But uh, I think <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> we'll get to it one day. Um, but, yeah, the thing, it's it's tremendous. I think all of the – some of the best practical effects of all time come from this movie. I think all the creature – uh, designs are gruesome and disgusting and awesome. Uh, like the head that just grows like spider legs. Yeah. And, and the, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I don't know if I like uh, the effects as much as you or Edgar did, um, which is surprising. I just don't, I don't see where our, our disconnect is, but oh, oh it's well. We're right and you're wrong. That's where it is. But. It could be. I mean, <laughs> I am in the minority. So yeah, I I don't know, um, and yeah, like you said, that idea of just blending in until it's too late—that's a a really cool idea. And even like where it leaves off is like these two survivors, but could they ever trust each other ever, no matter what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'll go to my number two. Please um, do, please do. Smog. Okay. Um, were you a fan of The Hobbit? I wasn't a fan of The Hobbit, but we reviewed Smog, Desolation of Smog on here, right? Me and you. And, uh, was it me and you? I'm pretty sure with David Bax as a guest host. Really? And, I, don't, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Smog, easily the best thing about 
this enti- this entire trilogy of films. Oh, one hundred and ninety five percent. In the look of smog, or how, how back then you had to say it a weird way, right? Smog, smog, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Smog. Um, I mean, the look was great, right? Fantastic, but it goes beyond that. I mean, once again, my whole list is about the idea, and you have this dragon. Um, that is not just some dumb dragon, but it's so true to the original uh, source material. It is this very intelligent, but very um, sadistic creature uh, that is just so well played on screen. I, as you said, it's pro- easily the best part of the whole series, which is not hard to do because the series was pretty crappy. Yeah. Um, but and it's a dragon. Who doesn't like dragons? Yep. And uh, you would think it'd be goofy to have a talking dragon in a live action film. No, they made it work. Oh, they didn't just make it work. It worked, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, all right, my number one uh, is such an obvious pick. I tried so hard not to put this as my number one when you when we were texting about this list earlier in the week and I misinterpreted your question as what is my number one without any research I just said I don't know probably the xenomorph and after research yeah it's the xenomorph from the alien that's that's my number one as well (laughs) it's just like especially for the time what was it uh 1971 or something yeah, it's, and, it's very, yeah, in the 70s, I'm not sure what year exactly. It's but. so ahead of its time with these awesome practical effects, these H.R. Geiger designs, like everything from the facehugger to the chest burster to the xenomorph itself, like just perfection in like it is, monster it, design. It is, 100%. Uh, I mean, one, the film in general is just a masterpiece. Um, but then you, to have the centerpiece of the alien... As you said, in multiple stages, just working so well every time it's on screen, it could easily have been cheap uh, and just have looked horrible. But in this film, it didn't, not even slightly. Um, And then what drives the alien, at least back then, uh, was it was all all it wanted to do was survive. It was purely to survive and nothing else. Uh, it wasn't really being sadistic. It wasn't really out just to kill things. It just wanted to survive and was willing to do anything. Um, and it's always like I, I always love to watch documentaries about kind of competitions. And one of the reasons is because there's this passion to be the best, to to thrive um, against everyone else. And that kind of is very similar to the alien. Uh, it's not so much a passion, but it is just a unbelievable desire um an, uh, it's almost like an unmovable object or uh unstoppable object i, I should say uh, of a creature that is going to do whatever it can constantly evolving yes yep which is kind of like what they try to do with life right <laughs> same idea but not as good as xenomorph not even slightly no <laughs> all right well I'll go for my honorable mention. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, I went with Gollum as an honorable mention. Gollum from Lord of the Rings? Really? Yeah. yeah. 
okay. I I'm thought good. for the yeah, that's good. That's a good choice. Yeah, I didn't think about it for the time. You know, effects were great, and obviously the performance was in, like very, very good. If not amazing, uh, it's uh, the guy that does Caesar these days. What's his face? Anyway, the the mocap guy that does yeah, all yeah, yeah, <laughs> the most famous uh, yeah live action or not for whatever action, reason I can't but, remember um, his name, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to look it up while I'm talking, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna look it up. War for the Planet of the Apes is the first thing that came to mind, and I'm talking about Andy Circus. There you go. <laughs> and my other honorable mention was E.T. from E.T. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can give you that. Yeah. What were your uh, obvious ones that you missed? The other ones that I missed that I, they deserve to be on the list. Uh, first of all, The Woman from Under the Skin. Uh, oh. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Uh, whatever creature she really is, um, is just... One, the movie's great. The movie's um, amazing, yeah. What she is as a creature is just so... Um, Beautiful creature, yep. Yeah, it's it's just so hard to put into words uh, what she is. Um, but I guess you could almost say like a black hole that devours uh, yeah. souls of people. So eerie. Um, yeah. Uh, and then the other one was Pyramid Head uh, from Silent of the Hill. Silent Hill. Not Silent, <laughs> Hill. Silent Hill. Um, I remember watching that film, and I didn't like the film that much. But it's okay. Pyramid Head was just – I remember I could not take my eyes off the screen. Um, I played the games. Uh, games are scary. Yeah, actually they are. I, I mean I'll, I'll – they, they are pretty decently scary. But the film just... Oh, it, it, it it took the film to a new level when Pyramid Head came on onto the screen. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, tangent, side tangent. Horror movies never really scare me these days. I mean, they're no. the occasional exception. Like when I saw... Uh, what's... Oh my God, what is it called? The franchise with the found footage and... Uh, no know, idea. You know what I'm talking about. They had like four or five sequels. I, Not even. You don't like it as much as I do. God, I probably don't remember it. <laughs> you do. Paranormal Activity. Oh my gosh, you were not scared. The first movie in the theater. Come on. There was a tinge there. And it, the movie It, as a kid, scared me. Yep, that was the other. Oh, that uh, was the third one. I, I wish I would have remembered to put one. Uh, I saw on the list. Yeah, especially this new film. I'm, I'm excited to see. <laughs> yeah, it looks I'm very good. excited to see. But I was just gonna say, like, you know, horror movies don't really scare me, but horror video games get me for whatever reason. I think because I'm like in control of this person, and it kind of puts me. It's like pretty immersive in a. Like yeah, it's, it's. I um. It's, do you know the uh, what do you call them? The virtual world uh, headsets. Um, VR, the, PSVR, o the Oculus Rift. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my friend got one. I put it on. He showed me this game, and this game was a horror game. Um, and I'm walking through this real dark dungeon, and all of a sudden. 
something comes out of nowhere and hits my guy and I uh, lose a little bit of life, I scream like a little <laughs> girl. It just seems so real. And I just, oh my gosh. I'm surprised I didn't beat myself a little bit. It was, it was, it, it felt real. It felt like I was in that dungeon. I want to try VR so bad. Is it good? Yeah. And the, the best part is right now the graphics are pretty bad. Um, I mean, yeah. I went on a roller coaster game um, or a simulation. And if you're just watching on the screen, and even in the game, like, it just, it looks bad. It's very pixelated, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. But at the same time, your brain, like, it just, you feel like you're it's on that, yeah. that uh, roller coaster. I remember gripping onto the the chair as hard as I possibly could oh as I was going down the hill of the roller coaster. Uh. Um, I think the greatest thing that uh, no one has even talked about, I was able to watch a movie uh, through the VR system, and what you do is you like it, it. Pretty much pretends like you're in a movie theater by yourself, and it feels like you're watching this gigantic screen. And as I watched this movie, I mean, it just was amazing. Really, experience. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what movie it was, but it just it was like I was watching it on a huge like five hundred foot screen. Yeah, you know, um, that's so cool. Yeah, I want a PSVR. So bad. How's the pornography? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's probably pretty good. I, yeah. did, I didn't watch any, but if you're watching on a 500-foot uh, screen, I'm sure it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was even just playing Resident Evil 7 standard on PS4, 6 o'clock in the morning one day, and I couldn't play for more than 15 minutes. I just... Yeah, you will get dizzy. Uh, no, seems- not VR. Like, just the regular game. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, I just, it's not the imagery so much. It's like the anticipation. I'm like, please, nothing jump out of me. Please, nothing jump out of me. And I can't do it. I get anxiety real bad. I'd rather watch someone else play it. But anyway, I digress. Uh, All right, let's talk about what else we watched. Casey? I sadly have nothing. Yes. This week has been tremendously busy. So, I have nothing to say. We have weeks. I'm sure you do. I have a few things up my sleeve. Uh, The one movie I watched was Rough Night, the comedy that came out this year that Edgar picked in the summer box office draft that didn't really do a whole lot for him. And uh, this is the movie starring, you know, under the skin's own Scarlett Johansson as a woman who is engaged to be married and she goes on a bachelorette. Uh, party weekend with her best friends from sorority days. Uh, they hire a stripper for her, and they accidentally kill the stripper. And they have to cover up the crime and try to get away with it. Meanwhile, there's a misunderstanding where the fiancé, the man at, at home, misinterprets a phone call to think that she doesn't want to go through with the wedding, so he's you know, hurrying up to get to her location to try to clear things up and Hilarity is supposed to ensue. Um, it was alright. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it's not, you know, some hilarious romp either. Very hit or miss. Uh, it, it goes through a lot of the same tropes that comedies these days lean on, like, here's a slow motion 
white people with uh, gangster rap in the background, right? Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's in every comedy now. And uh, I think they do that here. And yeah, a lot of really dumb stuff, but some stuff made me chuckle, so it wasn't all bad. Sounds great, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, comedies these days yeah. are, are not so good. I should have made that one of my final points is like the death of the Hollywood comedy because. I feel like we've talked about it. Yeah, I think though. we've touched on it. So, yeah, I give it like a light 6 out of 10, which is. I mean, that's obviously not a great score, but uh, this day and age, that's not terrible for a comedy. Uh, also watched the entire series, Netflix, uh, Marvel Netflix, The Defenders, which came out last week. This is. The, uh, did, did you like it? Um, it had its moments. I will say I was completely underwhelmed. Very disappointing. Uh, it's the combination of... You know, the Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist all come together to do the Marvel Netflix version of Avengers Street-level Defenders. Um, the problem I had with it, like, the moments that these characters finally interacted and, you know, fought together and all this stuff was really cool. There were some really cool moments, some good stuff, but Iron Fist was the last one that came out, and that was by far the worst of the bunch like it almost felt out of place like you watched daredevil right yes which was great, great yes show. it is great that those are the the first the two seasons of daredevil are definitely the best of the bunch jessica jones would be next then luke cage then way down here is iron fist and what i thought would have been great is take the sensibilities of daredevil's universe like, because they each have their own kind of look and feel to an extent. And Daredevil's he seems to be, like, the main piece. His is the only one that has two seasons so far. It's probably the best, like, received. I would have thought it would have been awesome to take his world and pull in these other characters into that. But it seems like they went in the opposite direction where the Iron Fist, the, like, cheesy... Uh, badly choreographed and badly cut and uh, almost a parody of Marvel Netflix show Iron Fist they pulled everyone into that world and oh really yeah to me it's like really weird to see these characters like I liked all the other series and they're all great characters Luke Cage Jessica Jones Matt Murdock it was weird to see them in like a poorly done version of themselves and it, it was only eight episodes, whereas all the other ones were 13 episodes. But it still felt like it was dragging. Like, it, this series should not be this boring in stretches the way it was. Like, Sigourney Weaver plays the, the new villain. Elektra is back from season two of Daredevil. And, like I said, it has its moments, but I was really disappointed I'd say it's certainly the second worst. It's a, it's better than Iron Fist, but worse than all the other seasons. Well, I I mean, it so should have been I, I so really, easy, really though. enjoyed Daredevil. Um, Jessica Jones was surprisingly good. I was really surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah. Um, what's uh, the next one? I can't think of it. Luke Cage. Luke, Luke Cage. Cage. Uh, I didn't really like. I got bored. Yeah, uh, I did too. Luke Cage. I thought the first then, half was good, though. 
Uh, you said the you said the second half. First half was good, I thought, and then it kind of got boring in the second half. Okay, yeah, I would agree with you there. And then I stopped. I haven't watched uh, Iron Fist. You yet. can skip Iron Fist. Like I still, you probably would like uh, at least get something out of Defenders because it is you know these characters are the same. I still like Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And is the, the Punisher characters. in? He's in not in this. Because you know they they released a trailer for the Punisher. I know. I'm excited for that. It looks pretty good. Yeah. The Punisher in season two was great. Um, I think that's what uh, is so good about Daredevil is that you have great villains. Yeah, I mean, you do. Kingpin. Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin was great, and then you have uh, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but um, Stick. Stick is that? That's the guy that's like the other blind mentor. No, 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 I was talking about the Punisher, the actor who plays the Punisher. Oh, um, yeah, shit. Um, but he, he's a great villain, um, and up. I think that's what really separates um, Daredevil from all the other shows, is just how good the villains are. Yeah, I agree. Uh, John Bernthal is the actor's name. Okay, he was in... Um, Fury. The Accountant, right? Yes, he was in The Accountant, Fury, The Walking Dead. He's everywhere. Yeah. But uh, did you like Elektra? Um, you know... Because I actually liked her a lot in Daredevil, but she's not as good here. So Elektra was... She wasn't too bad um, in Daredevil, but I wouldn't say she was the best part. Um, yeah. I'd say, actually, it's like the rare series where the main character is the best part. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But I, mean, I still, I, I think I like the villains maybe more, though. Oh, well, yeah. It's, yeah, anything with the Kingpin is incredible. I think he's probably the best villain in anything Marvel at all. Really? Wow. Like, I, yeah, I, I think that... I might agree. Is. I would have to think about it a little bit more, but there's yeah, a big possibility. Put, I'd have to put a little more thought into it, but off the top of my head, I think that's what I think. Uh, yeah, so the only other thing I'll talk about is a comic book called uh, Fatale, or how do you say it, Femme Fatale? How do you, how do you say it? Um, Fatale. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like a Femme Fatale, like a woman who's dangerous, uh, like from a film noir. I've never heard that term. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, well... Fatale. That's uh, the comic book that I've read in the past week. Uh, as I'm getting back into comic books, I'm going through some of my favorite writers from when I used to read and trying to catch up on their works, which I talked about I did with Brian K. Vaughn a few weeks back. And now I've moved on to Ed Brubaker, who he's so good. He's, uh, he's basically like a film noir crime novelist for comic books. And, like, some of his previous works, like Criminal and Sleeper and Incognito, I are great. They're, uh, if you like that, you know, crime noir style, almost, it's always a, almost always a period piece with, like, a, a deadly dame and the guy on a, a mystery and you know what a film noir is. Yeah. Uh, so, like, Edgar, I, I'm pretty sure, likes that kind of stuff. So he was, Yeah, like, he's a with, very big fan. Yeah. He would probably like a lot of these comics, but Fatale, <laughs> I'm going to say it different every time, but uh, Fatale is this 
24 uh, issue series about a woman. All right, so this is kind of similar where it has film noir elements, but it's uh, the first time he's bringing in some supernatural, like mystical, magical stuff into it. And I actually thought it worked pretty well. Is it based off of the lady from Shanghai? I'm looking up Film Fatale. However, you Here, I'll tell you what the story is, and you tell me if it is. Uh, It's about this woman who doesn't age. She's ageless. Like, she stays, I don't know, 25 years old through time. And basically, you see her all the way back in 1800s, all the way to present day. And it kind of jumps around with uh, her arc. Because she also has this power over men where they will do anything she says. They'll become obsessed with her. She'll wet them and bed them just to get them to do whatever she wants. And then she'll leave them. And they'll, you know, these people could be married with kids or anything. Bless you. They are powerless over her, you know, her aura, her pheromones. And and once she leaves them high and dry, they, like, make it their mission, life's mission to try to find her again. To get that last, you know, moment that they could have with her. But while, you know, that's her story, there's also this Mr. Bishop character who's basically like a demon from hell who is looking to capture her and sacrifice her in order to do something for himself. And it's kind of like the satanic cult is chasing after her all throughout time and history. And it's her trying to, you know, get away or you know, finally put an end to it. And one of the, the, one of the main characters is one of these guys that falls for her, but it's kind of like his is a slow unveiling of his story over the whole 24 episode uh, issues. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, really well done. I'd give it a eight and a half out of 10. All right. As far as comic books go, it's really well done. I'm usually not super into like the occult stuff and supernatural things, but he grounds it enough with his film noir style to uh, make it appeasing. I was a little, a little uh, disappointed in the ending. I think it's a little anticlimactic, a little predictable, but the story as a whole really well done. And now I'm moving on to uh, he's had like three more. Uh, series since Fatal that uh, I'm going to try to catch up on next. Are these um, very like? Are there not many issues of this this comic? Twenty four. Like, remember, I I read 170 issues of The Walking Dead in two weeks. This is only 24, so it's much more manageable. But it's, it's a little more dense, so it took me a little bit longer to read each issue. Uh, he's got a really good style where. This was basically five issue arc, five issue arc, solo, like one shot, one shot, one shot, five issue arc, five issue arc. And each five issue arc, I mean, it's laid out like it could be a film noir, like it could be a movie. Like his stuff seems really could be easily adapted into uh, in films. And I think a lot of his properties have been optioned, just nothing's come about yet. Hmm. So. I'm a fan, and uh, yeah, if you're into anything that I said, check it out. It's good that you're you're sticking with these comic books. Yeah, isn't it? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm sure I'll, I, maybe I'll burn out eventually or I'll at least slow down. But No, it's good that you're, you're getting into it. Um, any form of entertainment is good entertainment, I guess. Yeah. I just love how easily accessible it is on my phone, like through digital comics. Like I'm on, I go on my lunch break at work. I read an issue or two. And while I'm laying next to my son's bed and so try to get him to go to sleep i'll read a couple issues and yeah it's just really simple so that's why i'm liking it hmm. so let's get into our final points and get out of here what do you got All right. for me what do you got for me what do you got for me so mine is pretty simple but uh so two questions part one is who is your favorite director at the moment <clears throat> wow big question and then uh, who is your favorite director of all time? You're going to have to go first, I think. But uh, that's a good question. All right. Um, well, I will say who's my favorite director at the moment, and it's probably very biased. Uh, but I would probably say Nolan. Um, one, because I did just watch Dunkirk, and I loved it. <laughs> but I'm just thinking of within the last – Eight to nine years, um, he has produced my favorite films, or at least most of my favorite films, uh, with The Dark Knight and Inception being one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. Um, he's just able to produce just fantastical films over and over and over again, and he still has and He keeps on doing it, and you always think, like, how is he going to do better? What is he going to do next? And he does it. He, he does something better. And maybe not always better, but he does something still that mystifies and just cre- creates a, a dream inside of your head of just this fantastical world. Um, or even sometimes a dark world like he does in Dunkirk. Um, you know, I just – I love Christopher Nolan. I, I, and I, I don't choose him for overall – because some of his earlier films, like Pi, um, I didn't enjoy. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he's my favorite of all time. My favorite of all time by far uh, is actually two people, and that's the Coen brothers. Uh, I think you know my affection for them. Yeah. I love everything they've created for the most part. Um, I mean, The Big Lebowski is just a masterpiece in in comedy one of the best. Then you have No Country for Old Men is one of the greatest dramas for, of all time. Um, you have Inside Lewin Davis is one of the greatest musical films of all time. Like They just produce and direct and write the greatest films uh, that we see for, for pretty much all of their career. Uh, they are what Tarantino hopes he is. Uh, someone who can say that their entire filmography is just perfect and theirs is very close to perfect yeah have you seen intolerable cruelty though no i have not <laughs> so yeah and i might not <laughs> no they are awesome uh they're like the only problem i've talked about it so many times i'll briefly just say it again that the problem with them for me is that it takes me multiple viewings to really even get their genius sometimes because it's not and it's not their fault it's mine like it, their movies a lot grow on me over time and it's not like right away i love it and it's you know 
a ten out of ten. But see, uh, I I think the only one that took me a little bit a sec more than a more than the first viewing was Barton Fink. The first viewing of Barton Fink, and I think I talked about it on here years ago. I didn't like too much, but it has grown on me now um, as I watched it again. Yeah, you recommended that for me for the film club segment, and I I do like that. But was it Barton Fink that I recommended? Yeah. Yeah, the Big really? Lebowski, like that's definitely one that I didn't like. Then I liked it. Then I really liked it. You know, it just gets a little bit better every time. That is the one movie I have seen more than probably fifteen times. It's just, it does not get old, even slightly. So that was your favorite all time director? Yes. Yep. And Christopher Nolan, as I said, probably biasly. Um, favorite current. Current. Uh, I would also say maybe Jeff Nichols. Um, yeah, I'm. I really, really like the way he he directs. Um, he writes pretty much all of his movies, right? As well. Yeah. Um, I think that's the true sign of a great director. Maybe not the, the true sign, but so like the best directors usually write their films as well. Um, if you look at Tarantino, he writes all of his stuff. The Coen Brothers write his stuff or their stuff. Jeff Nichols writes his. Um, yep. So. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right, so I think I have a lot of options for favorite director. I, I, I oh, mean, there's so many. I mean, you can talk about – I mean, Spielberg is very – I understand. If you pick um, uh, who, one of the greatest directors did uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, why can't he come to my mind? <laughs> uh, Shining, yeah, you know. I know. <laughs> you can't think of it either. Oh my god! I've had so many blanks today in the world. It's um, uh, Stanley Kubrick, or no? Yeah, yeah Stanley Kubrick. Stanley <laughs> oh Kubrick. my god! How bad is that? Um, I, I mean, Stanley Kubrick, I think, is a pure genius. Um, there would never be an argument saying he's the best. Uh, I could one hundred percent understand that. I don't think I've seen enough of his movies to fully say he's my favorite. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. But pretty much everything I've watched, I, I've loved. Um, yeah, and for me, like, director is pretty much the most important thing when it comes to movies that I'm anticipating, right? So more than plot, more than the, the cast, more than a trailer or a poster or anything. If I, yeah. if I hear so-and-so or, you know, Tarantino, new movie coming out, I'm like, I'm... I'm sold i'm excited to see it it doesn't even matter what it's about nothing and uh yeah so there's plenty of guys like that for me tarantino scorsese darren aronofsky jeff nichols you mentioned ryan johnson and again there's another guy who writes his own stuff as well but i think my answer is going to be none other than paul thomas anderson Okay, and PTA. I mean, that's that's a good choice. My reasoning is, for me, he's batting a thousand. He's never made a movie that I didn't give at least a seven and a half or an eight out of ten. And um, that's saying something. I think he's, what, six for six or seven for seven. Um, just go down the line. Hard Eight, his first movie. It's a really good gambling thriller, uh, you know, that not a lot of people have seen. Because he, he's just getting started. He's got Boogie Nights, great movie. Punch Drunk Love, reinvents the romantic comedy. Um, what, Magnolia. Uh, Magnolia, amazing. 
Um, the Master, one of my favorite movies of all time. There will be there blood. There will be blood. My, oh, yeah. my favorite movie of all time. Uh, Inherent Vice. Great. Ah, uh, come on. You're. We're not going to say Inherent Vice. I do love it. But right, it's well. definitely lesser PTA, but I still love it. Um, yeah, and he has a new movie coming out this de- December that I'm very excited for. Might hear about that more in our top five next week, but. Yeah, I'll go with PTA as far as probably current and all time, but if I had to give like a classic director, I'll say, <laughs> you know, pretty boring answer, but Alfred Hitchcock. I've seen a lot of his movies now, and he's great. Okay. If um, I had to give a guy, you know, that's not currently directing anymore. I'm trying to think what ones would I... Uh, but Stanley Kubrick I, is pretty good too. I'm trying, yeah. Um, I mean, The Master. I, I mean, he's good, but I remember nowhere near liking it as much as you did. Um, Inherent Vice, I didn't really like. I thought that was kind of. Uh, Give it another shot. It was definitely one of his worst films uh, by far. Probably his worst. Uh, but I guess that does say something. Um, I, okay, I, I, I can give it to you. Yeah, thank you. That's, I mean, that's a good choice. I know it is. <laughs> yeah, I remember The Master. You didn't like it as much. Has it grown on you since you first saw it? Not really, and I actually wa- watched it again. Um, actually, I think I've watched it three times now because I want to like it. Um, I should watch it again now after I, I got so into uh, Scientology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know so much more about Scientology and how uh, L. Ron Hubbard was in the Navy. And he had a um, – he had like this yacht that he had all of the uh, highest level people of Scientology come on to, to finalize their path through righteousness or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it all – I mean it all makes sense. It, it's definitely uh, – it, it, Probably having that knowledge would be pretty helpful, maybe. Yeah, I think so. That, that, that movie is just so... That world is that he's built is just so dense, so lived in, so uh, so perfect. But, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Should I get on to my final point? Yes. Uh, not much of a point here. Uh, next week is the fall box office draft. Just only do, like, maybe a mini preview of that. See see how you're feeling heading into your first ever fall draft. Don't have to get into specifics as far as movies coming out, but are you looking forward to this? Um, slightly. I mean, it looks like I might be the champion for the <laughs> summer box office draft. Uh, I am pretty glad that we have kept it every single year being the original cast members uh, or hosts yes, uh, as awesome. the winners of every well, maybe not every draft, but uh, I wasn't a part of the last uh, winter box office draft so, or fall box office draft. But to me, that has made it so the fall box office draft does not count. Uh, <laughs> well, now you're involved. Now that, I, now that I'm involved, maybe it changes my mind a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. What do you think of this awards bonuses? Uh, ooh. Have I have to look that. a little bit more closely into your rules for all of this. Uh, that's going to really dictate... I do think your uh, system is flawed, um, if I'm being truthful here. Uh, some of the point values you give for nominations uh, is just a little dramatic. Uh, 
So, but I'm going to use that to my advantage and uh, destroy you guys. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Um, have you looked at what's coming out over the next four months? Not even slightly. Uh, I am not prepared at all for it, but you know what? I'll do it the night before and I'll still win. <laughs> yeah, so just so you're aware, it's from September 1st through December 31st. All movies eligible, except for Star Wars. I think we've determined that Star Wars is going to be its own competitor, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I would say that we've always done it where the new person gets to go first, and you guys have now just taken away my film that would win me it. But hey, you know, <laughs> would that you guys really... are doing? You guys are doing whatever you can uh, <laughs> to, to try to win, it, and I appreciate the hustle. It's, it's the only way we can beat you, but. Uh... No, <laughs> would it even be fun if Star Wars was actually involved? Because yes, because you, you you have done that to me multiple times in the summer box office draft with the Avengers. Um, I think that's how you won the very first summer box office draft. Maybe. Yeah, but in the uh, summer, there's so many blockbusters. Yeah, but come on, no one was ever going to beat a what did they get? One point eight billion dollars. There's no other blockbuster like that. Well, yeah. Come on. Star Wars is like, you know, double, two billion it's probably going to hit. So that's like. It might hit two billion. Yeah, it might. You could have every other movie combined. The latest Star Wars movie didn't hit two billion. But that wasn't, uh, you know. uh, It's a Star Wars film. Yeah, literally is. But in the title. But, uh, yeah, that. It's interesting. Yeah, you're right. I Man, I wish I would have purposely made the <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we'll always experiment. I'm, all, I'm willing to tinker with the rules here, you know. I just like that uh, it differentiates uh, differentiates itself from the summer draft with the, the award bonuses and slightly different makeup of the movies to come out. Um, yeah. It's going to be me, you, and Edgar... For sure, next week, and still waiting to hear from Joel. He says it depends. You know, he hasn't got. He won't get his schedule for work down in Ocean City, Maryland, until Sunday. So that will be a last-minute call if he is in or not. Now, well, basically, uh, I'm oh, good. Just sorry. Please go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'll ask my question later. <laughs> All right. Basically, I'm also using this. You know, final points time to, you know, let's work out the kinks and the ideas that maybe I have. Like, what do you think of another differentiator? I can't say that word tonight. (laughs) Uh, A slot that is strictly only uh, for awards. You do not get any, you know, plus or minus as far as box office, but it's only awards. Um, I keep going back and forth on this idea. So when when we are going through the snake ladder of picking, um, do we specify? Yeah, you'd have to say, here's my pick, and this is my awards-only selection. So that would typically probably be our last pick then. Maybe. Because we're probably thinking that it doesn't do as well as our other five picks in terms of money. Yeah, maybe you're um, right. Maybe we just designate it as the last pick before the reserve, or or do we even need reserves anymore? No, because maybe if something drops out, loses, gets pushed back, we could always say, "Okay, you lost this movie. Now you get to pick any other movie that hasn't come out yet." 
you know, that no one picks, right? Or... Yeah, that's what we should probably have been doing this whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like uh, having a slide just for awards. Yeah, I don't know either. I just kind of, because what's the difference? Why not just <laughs> have a sixth movie that's eligible, right? Yeah. If that's what you're going to do, but I don't know. Just always thinking, thinking these things. I was also thinking. You do a lot of thinking. Man. I do. It's all. It's all I do. Uh, I want to do a spring, or you know, January to through April box office draft. <laughs> you love these drafts, don't you? I do. They're one of my favorite things about uh, the podcast. But uh, I was thinking, how could that? How? What could I do to make that different than the summer and the fall? See, to be honest, I almost feel like it, it it cheapens the summer box office draft. I look forward to it every year, but now that there's a fall one, now they're trying to make a spring one, it just makes it seem like a, it's just a, uh, what do you want to say? It's a, well, much almost like, like a cheap tactic. It's like the uh, Marvel Cinematic me. Universe where more movies come out every year. Exactly. <laughs> uh Soon we'll be doing a weekly draft um, of our top That's five picks. Not um, a bad idea. Oh, it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's up to you. Um, well, I just assume, look, summer is always going to be the big daddy, the OG, the, the main event draw. That I won this year. <laughs> that you won this year. And then the falls just, like, gives you a reason to follow the award ceremonies and Maybe give you a rooting interest at the Oscars or something like that. And then the spring is more like, why leave the spring out? And they're releasing more and more bigger movies in that time frame. And I like keeping track of the drafts all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> so my OCD is like, I need this. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think what you could do. Maybe only three movies per person in the spring. I don't know. That seems cheap, but... I don't know. I need some uh, inspiration in that regard. And you're, you got yeah. nothing? Um, like I said, I, I, I mean, I've already said my piece. I, I don't know if I – I don't like the idea. But you'll do what you want to do, so. Oh, my God. Yeah. What was the question you were going to ask before? Uh, oh, I've already answered it. Or you've already answered it, so. What's that? Just how many picks did we have? Oh, five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe we... I don't know. I like these event podcasts, like the uh, one thing you've never participated in, but the March Madness, March Movie Madness that we've done two years in a row now. Like, that's a big event to look forward to. I, I need these, uh, what are they, milestones just to look forward to. Keep the creative <laughs> juices flowing. Yeah, I, I guess that's a difference between us. Um, yeah. See, even, like, that's how I live my life, through temples. Oh, this show is premiering in two weeks. I'm so excited. This is all I can wait for. Then it premieres, and it's like, okay, this movie's coming out in three weeks. This is what I'm excited for. Oh, football season starts in two, you know, that's that's how I go by. From tentpole to tentpole, anticipation. Well, maybe that's not a bad way to live your life, but it is. Or is it the not worst just, way to live? 
All right. Well, a lot to think about. If anybody yeah. out there <laughs> out there has any feedback or ideas, you know what to do. Send us that email, the uh, Redbox Report at Yahoo.com, or hit us up on Twitter at the Redbox Report. I'm on Twitter at the Oriole Report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or YouTube or anywhere you can find podcasts. As always, have a great day.